Attenborough's getting up there in years. If he needs a successor like this, would be a great guy for it. Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, All Booked, where we talk to you about books we'd like to recommend. And yeah. Jake is joining us to talk about An Immense World, which is a book about animals. Yes. <laughs> it was on, I am guilty of browsing those year-end critic lists, and this was mm-hmm. on a bunch of them. And it is it is good. It's good. I <laughs> like this flavor of book is, I feel like, a big one comes out like every single year. Like, did you know that hawks are the key to understanding the universe or <laughs> octopuses are will blow your mind anyway. But like that's like that kind of book comes out. And so I'm like, I almost always read them anyway, even though like eventually I'm just kind of like, I get it. I, I get I get it. it. Yeah, exactly. Nature is, magic. Nature is cool. It is. It is. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So this one I do like. I did like quite a lot. And I realized like as I was, I was like, okay, I was, I started it and I was like, yeah, then we'll make a podcast about this. And I started like writing down random things that I learned. And then I realized that it was just like a banana's list of, of sentences. It was like <laughs> catfish are swimming tongues. <laughs> Shrimp mantises have 12 different color receptors or it's, something like that. It sounded yeah. like you woke up in the middle of the night and exactly. you were like, I have to write this down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all kinds of like, of, of like, just fun little facts in there. I will say one thing, he like starts off the book. He starts off the book with olfaction and gustation. So smell and taste. It's all about animal senses, I should mention oh, okay. too. Yes. Okay. So he starts off visiting Alexandra Horowitz because he's visiting multiple scientists throughout. Mm-hmm. Alexandra Horowitz has written multiple books. She's a, she's a dog psychologist. Oh, so she studies canine psychology and I have loved her books. And he really hammers home a concept that I had already been introduced to in one of her books. And that might have made this book a little bit more mind-blowing if I hadn't already thought about it. So he talks a lot about an Umwelt, which is, it's a German word. And it sort of means like, it means perception, but it also sort of requires you to step outside of your, what you think of as your five question mark senses and sort of imagine the world, imagine thought and existence in a world in which those senses are just like completely different, basically. So like we are, we as humans are primarily visual creatures. Most of the things that we do in a day are oriented around eyesight because that is our, it's our most refined sense. And and he does mention that in terms of like sharpness or resolution, essentially only raptors like birds of prey beat us. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those are the only animals that actually have a finer sense of vision than us or a more refined, I should say, because there are different, there are variations. So then he starts off mentioning like the umwelt of a dog is primarily olfactory. So like they, they exist primarily by smell. So they can sort of, they can do things like depending on the way air blows into a room, they can determine sort of like the time of day, like, oh, okay, I smelled the door open, so I know my master is coming home or something like that. Or like, I smell Mm -hmm. like it is morning because there is coffee brewing. I mean, to a certain extent, we can do these kinds of things too, but obviously they're just more sensitive in dogs. So he starts off with that kind of thing. And it is, it's really, I did, I've learned a lot. One of my favorite sections, I do like the way that he has the senses sort of laid out 
because so like he starts off with olfaction and gustation because those are linked in that they are senses of chemical detection. Their primary function is to be able to, you know, sniff out what exactly is in the room with you or something like that. And then he sort of moves on to he does move on to vision, but then he has like in in the touch section. And so then like I'm. I'm like 80% of the way through the book, full disclosure, not totally done. (laughs) But he like in the touch section, he also includes a section on nociception, which is a very fancy word for harm detection, Mm -hmm. which is actually it's like it's different from pain in that. So like you like if you touch a hot stove, your hand recoils instantaneously. And then typically you register pain actually a moment later. Your 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 hand reflexively recognizes that it's, you know, taken fire damage. And then you <laughs> recoil and then you and then you take psychic damage. Um, once you see the once you once you realize that your hand has been burnt. So like there are like but it, in that nociception, there's there's not only like detection of heat, there's detection of extreme pressure, there's even detection of like acid. When I was in high school chemistry, chemistry, I burned, I spilled 16 molar nitric acid on my mm. nails, oh my which goodness. is strong, yeah, and it hurt. So, but like at the same time, I wasn't being burned, I wasn't, I wasn't being crushed. I was detecting acid in my skin. So that's kind of like it is a weird thing to think about. It does, it does yeah. help you conceptualize the world differently when you start to think about your senses in that way he also like when he went into hearing he's like really truly hearing is just an extremely sensitive sense of touch like you are detecting yeah you're detecting vibrations and wavelengths so like in a way it's like what we call our five senses are in some ways like really you have a sixth sense and no nociception or you only have three senses and that you can detect (laughs) chemicals you can see light and maybe if we want to talk about sound you know something like that but yeah so there i mean we we explore all kinds of wild animals i mean wild i mean like crazy wow Wow. um (laughs) one of my favorite sections he's talking about ultraviolet detection i was gonna say are they the miscellaneous senses yes yeah (laughs) ultraviolet detection which that is another thing that birds have on us in terms of vision yeah (laughs) we we are called trichromats which means that we have three different sets of comb detectors in our eyes and each set that you have actually it's sort of like an exponential detection of color so like dogs who are dichromats perceive like like 10 percent of the color that we perceive whereas birds who are tetrachromats perceive like what is that I can't do math. We perceive 10% of what they perceive, basically. So he calls them like, in addition to seeing like base colors like red, yellow, and cyan or blue, whatever you want to call it, they also have ultraviolet as one of those base colors, which means that they also see their ultraviolets blending with red, yellow, and blue. So he calls them like yurple, gwerple, and blurple or something like that. (laughs) Yes. That that was like an interesting, there's tons of just interesting facts in there. That's just like the idea of considering, I don't know, it's such a, it's such a trip to like even think about the idea of perceiving ultraviolet. Yeah. And that's what one of the things that he says, like you, there is no device that you can make that will imitate 
that color perception yeah. because you just don't have that. Like you could put on a pair of goggles, but the eyeballs that you have still can only perceive those things. Yeah. So like there's no way to imitate it. And what what is actually really fascinating is that it's something like he said something like an estimated 48,000 people, and they do have one test subject, she has a number for a name, are also tetrachromats, so can also see in ultraviolet. It's oh, like, wow. a, it's a rare mutation, but mm -hmm. they do. There are some humans who have the ability to perceive ultraviolet. And the funny, I mean, the funny thing is that they just go around they don't think there's anything different about their vision yeah. because mm -hmm. no one they're going to point at things and be like, that's that color. And people will be like, yeah, that's that color. They might be able to say like, that one's different. And other people would be like, what are you talking about? But other than that, other than those like very rare cases, there would be no way to actually be able to tell. Like people who make it into their late 20s before they realize that they have, oh my gosh, what's it called? Red, green color blindness or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, blue. And they're like, no. <laughs> no. So I have to ask, did you learn any fun bug facts? Oh, okay, so um, that was one fun, one fun thing in the bug section or in the hearing section was essentially that hearing organs often get placed on areas that can respond to hearing stimuli very quickly. So for almost all mammal, mammals, because a lot of mammals are visual, that's the head, because we can hear something, turn the head, and use our primary sense vision to perceive what's happening and then go there. So for like, I can't remember which bug species it was, for some bug species, they are either they're on legs or on wings so that when they perceive dangerous sounds, they can respond very quickly to that situation and either fly away or jump away there. And then I also there the chapter that I literally like driving into work was listening to because I'm I think I'm yeah, I'm on I'm on the it's a specific chapter on echolocation and sonar. But the one moth scientists often ha get oh lepo lung is what they called it lepidopterans oh, yeah, yes yeah. <laughs> because the scales trigger allergic reactions in people but those scales also are evolved to specifically dampen the echolocation like the reverberation from bats so like those scales have evolved to like weaken the signal that returns oh, to the bat when they release perfect. their little screech yeah and then also just there's this, is, this might be too much of a like just micro phenomenon on the internet but i'm not sure if you've ever seen somebody like jiggle the front of a beluga whale's head or something yes. like that like, yes disturbing. i don't know i don't know what that okay but that is also that is their primary sonar organ that big giant kind of like bulbous bulbous fatty pad yeah. at the mm -hmm. front of their head that is what actually detects their their echolocation which in bats comes from the throat but in toothed whales actually is emitted through basically i mean the blowhole basically the nostril so yeah like it's like a very very powerful sneeze or something like that <laughs> <laughs> Did they yes. talk about any animals that had that were able to like sense like electrical fields and things? I think I think I'm like getting there. Okay. The getting the, the weird sci-fi sense. Yeah, one of the one of the the kind of interesting things is in the mechanoreception or touch mm -hmm. section they talked about whiskers and they talked about manatee whiskers and they mentioned that they are they're so receptive that like if you blindfold a manatee and like have it chase after a ball it can not only do so but it can detect almost sort of like how a dog can sniff out something that's been there for a long time they can detect like 
minutes past of remnants of water disturbances wow. in their whiskers and follow things that way. So like oh. there there were things that were like, whoa, that's kind of kooky. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the overarching premise obviously senses. Is there anything else like woven throughout all of these chapters? So that's kind of like my biggest criticism mm -hmm. is that this book is a little all over the place. <laughs> it's just a lot of facts. <laughs> it is a lot of facts and it's it is it's fun and I will say I've been listening to the audiobook and he is a wonderful reader of his own work. Absolutely, this is not a writer who is not good at reading his own work. But yes, I, I no, there's not really a lot of <laughs> there's not really a lot of connective tissue it, between the senses. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like the grown-up version of those like animal factoid books you'd check out in fifth grade. One hundred percent, the school library. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it feels like it feels like an Attenborough documentary, but like with less images. And more words. And those words are very, like, there is a lot of joy evident in the discoveries that he is sort of mm -hmm. making as he goes around, but they are a little, like, scattershot, you know? <laughs> I know that he talked to somebody who studied canines. Yes. Did you learn anything new about your dogs, perhaps? So I had read a whole book on dog perception. One thing that I suppose the way that their noses work is that, like, so like when you see a dog sniffing, basically, because they have those long snouts that have lots of like receptors within them, when what they can actually do is like hold air in those snouts through different sniffs. So like they can sniff and then exhale, but oh, then also wild. still keep some of that like that last breath in their nose, almost kind of like. Like Comparing? tasting like, yeah, like <laughs> like kind of like taking little sips or something mm -hmm. like that of different, yeah, of different things like that. Little pipettes of air. Yes. <laughs> so that's like, that's the one that I remember at least in that, in that dog section, because it's also at the very beginning of the book. Yeah. yeah. And then like the other thing that I just thought was funny is that, like he mentioned, like, it's funny that we think of taste as being this kind of like Epicurean, very fancy and refined thing when actually it's kind of like our most blunt sense that we have like there's in and I th if i'm not mistaken this is a cross species too but like there's only five you know sweet salt bitter umami and the sour different anyway but anyway sour. so like yeah, there's sour, not yeah. there's you you really can't detect all that much in them and then also just like but it was interesting to see, like, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, many insects have taste receptors on their legs. Yes. So, like, if you do see, if you ever see, you know, a fly landing on something and they're doing that little, like, rubbing their <laughs> hands together, kind of gross thing. They are licking, whatever. They're touching. And catfish in particular are, like, the most, are the, are the tastiest animals on the planet, <laughs> the basically. Like, their entire animals. body is covered in taste receptors. So, as they're swimming Dang. around down there at the bottom, they're just... That's why everything. you call them the tongues which, of the ocean. Which yes. is horrifying if you think about it because they live in really murky, dirty water. Yes. So that's probably why they have so many taste receptors because it's hard to figure out what's yeah. good and what's not. Give them a glimmer of something good occasionally. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's all. That's very interesting. I, I'm always surprised. I, I don't know why I'm surprised. I'm surprised that other animals just experience the world so differently than us. They do. Sommeliers out there just need to watch their step before a, a catfish takes their yeah, job. I know, I know. <laughs> I think this was made in France, yes. 2015? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, they would they would have us beat. And mm -hmm. like I did, like I mentioned, like he, he, it feels like Attenborough and I'm like, he's, he's British also. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like listening to him, I'm like, uh, I mean, 
Attenborough's getting up there in years. If he needs a successor, like this would be a great guy for it. He's fun. It's yeah. fun. Like this, this book is kind of a, it's a romp. It's, it, I, I, and it has like scientific substance for sure. So I wouldn't call it like bubblegum, but it's as bubblegummy as like science can yeah. be, I think. <laughs> like, like a nice pop science. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would you pick up another one of his books like when he publishes again? In another year. I can handle one. <laughs> of, I can handle next. one of these a year, I think, you know, this was my one for the year. I can't remember. I think I did like, you know, H is for Hawk a while ago and so I did the one on octopuses. is this your octopuses. one for 2022 or is this your one for 2023? That's hard to question. I is... Talk to me next winter specifically. Okay. Yeah, I don't work on a calendar year. <laughs> uh, I work on seasons. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all I can think of. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything yeah. else that, that stood out, jumped out, anything weird? No. Oh, wanna, no. I'm sure that the, the mantis shrimps can have a really strong punch and they can punch a crab's claw off or something. No, I mean, that's true. But yes, that's, no, there's there's only other random facts like that. Now it's you fair. can finally release all those facts that I know you've been yes, storing. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you so much for bringing an interesting book to chat about. And stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations. Bye. Bye.